And welcome back to Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. David Shoemate and Dave Harding with you here. Going to talk a little bit of football, or a lot of football, as I should say, over the next half hour or so, and a little bit later up in hour number two. We're going to be joined by Dan Brooks, the head coach of the Duke women's golf program in hour number three. Still to come, Nate James, associate head coach of the men's basketball program, is going to swing by. Uh, they've got some pretty good recruits coming in this season, so we're going to talk a little hoop with him. Uh, Mark Packer is going to swing by and talk about the launch of the ACC Network, and then we're going to really get some talent involved and, and bring in probably the best person on our broadcast crew. John Roth is going to join us to take shots at us, like <laughs> <laughs> keeps us on the rails during the football season absolutely, and in the basketball season. So a lot to get to, Dave, but let's kind of break down football a little bit. We talked a lot of defense in the last half hour. Let's kind of pivot and talk about offense, and I want to talk about the schedule a little bit here in this segment, but Let's start with the offensive side. We already talked about Quentin Harris a little bit, but the young man we haven't talked about yet is the guy that, that really took this team by storm last season, in the second half of the season in particular. I'm talking about Deion Jackson, the running back, 847 yards on the year, seven touchdowns, and, and you think back to he was really the backup at the outset of the season last year. Britton Brown had to deal with some injuries, and I say it in the context of you know, if, if right from the shoot, you're, you're probably looking at a 1,000-yard rusher if, if he gets those carries at the beginning of the season. Yeah, no doubt. And one of the best things about Deion Jackson, too, is his pass-catching ability. I mean, he's, uh, he's so versatile and diverse in what he brings to an offense. The coaches at some points last year felt like he might have run crisper routes or better routes than some of the wide receivers, the true wide receivers. And Deion has a wide receiver background, so that makes sense. But um, with his physique, his, his, the strength that he's got in his core, his legs, I mean, his legs are about the size of my torso. And that's saying something because I had a large torso. But <laughs> got bigger over the last hour. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but uh, just some massive, lo a thick lower body with tremendous power to be able to get in there in between the tackles and, and grind out some tough yardage, but also has the, the finesse, the quickness and, and the athleticism to move in the outfield, you know, out in the, the open field uh, and really soft hands to catch passes. So it became a, a very quick and, and, and favorite target for Daniel Jones and Quentin Harris a season ago, and he'll be put in that same position this year. Well, let's continue to break down the running backs as a whole. Britton Brown is back. Uh, to my eye, he's looked as good as the first day he stepped on campus through those first eight, nine, ten days of camp. He has looked awfully good, has that speed back that last year sometimes was lacking just because he was nicked up. Yeah, I don't think there's a better one-two punch at running back uh, anywhere else in the ACC. Duke's probably got the best in terms of depth with experience, but also talent. And Britton Brown, I mean, he'd be starting anywhere else in the ACC. Tremendous athlete. I think back to the Baylor game a few years ago where he was able to run over a defensive lineman, linebacker and in a safety on his way into the end zone. And you mentioned having the speed back because he has been hampered by injury uh, over the past couple of months. And to finally look healthy, he's got a, a really flexible build and a body that allows him to spin out of different uh, defenders. And when he has that paired with some quickness and speed to pull away from that contact afterwards, he becomes a lethal weapon at the running back spot. 
and whether it's Mateo Durant, uh, these are names you're going to hear throughout the year. Marvin Hubbard III, who's working his way back uh, from an Achilles injury. Some of the youngsters, uh, a Jalen Coleman, even a Jordan Waters, who's come over uh, to play running back. Coach Cutcliffe said after watching him in the in the first scrimmage, he's never gone back to the defensive he's, side. Yeah. Of the, the defensive coaches are probably going, now hold on a sec. Right? <laughs> but I, I say all that to put into context of last year, because of injuries, Deion Jackson had to do some heavy lifting. They have a saying here around Duke, they call the running back, uh, area the stable and it, and it certainly feels like the stable is back in full effect this season going to see a lot of different guys get touches I think yeah I think so and uh, you, you mentioned several of those other guys some of them we haven't seen that much of but uh, great uh, blend of you know, you've got guys that can take the top off of a defense with their speed and range, and you've got others that are more of the downhill back, hit it, and get in behind their pads. And so depending on what the flavor of the day is or what defense you'll be seeing, the Duke coaching staff has proven that they're willing to, to watch the game develop, see who's got the hot hand that day, and ride with it. And the way the coaches have, have done the, and organized the system – it's not necessarily a bad thing for some of these running backs when their name isn't called. And there's enough of a team uh, mentality and a mindset there where they're not upset to see one of their teammates go out and get the load of the carries depending on what happens that particular week. It's Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. David Shumate and Dave Harding with you talking a little bit of football here as we walk through some of the personnel on the offensive side of the football for Duke. And, and let's talk about this receiving core. You know, last year the three starters were all seniors. Uh, T.J. Ramming is doing a lot of work uh, in NFL camps right now. But there are some youngsters there. Uh, Jake Bobo, I think, was the leading guy coming back in terms of receptions from a year ago. And Davey had 10, and unfortunately, he got caught by the injury bug here in camp is, is dealing with the clavicle they're working on. But, you know, when you look at this receiving core, they're young, outside of maybe like an Aaron Young and a Scott Bracey or some of the older guys um, that may get into the rotation, may start as they're still kind of vetting that things out. But, uh, you know, from your time here as a player and on down, and you've seen guys like Crowder and the like, young but this group is really talented, and they're big. Yeah, talent is good, and, and you're right, size. I mean, you walk by some of these guys, uh, well over six feet frames, but uh, quick, and when you can combine those traits, you've got a chance to have a really good wide receiver. Pair that with tremendous coaching. Duke hiring a new wide receivers mm -hmm. coach, Trooper Taylor, coming uh, to campus has a rich history with coach Cutcliffe. We could just get him to come out of his shell. I know. I know he is a little <laughs> bit introverted, but uh, I think we're, he, he's coming along. Yeah. He's got a great personality too. Yeah. another coach. That's easy to buy into and easy to trust. Um, and the players really respect him and he's able to get the most out of those players. And so when you, when you look at that room, yes, maybe some inexperience and with Jake Bobo going down really the, the marquee player returning, if you will, um, hopefully he's able to come back. I mean, if there is an injury at Duke to have, it seems to be the clavicle injury because of the miraculous comeback. Daniel Jones was able to put together a season ago with a 3d printed brace and all that. So there, there certain, certainly be working through those details, but uh, you'd expect to have him back at some point. And when you look, yeah, the, the experience level might not reach a season ago, but talent, it, it's right there with it. If not slightly edging out what the Blue Devils had at a wide receiver unit last year. Oh, we're talking about height. I mean, you got Bobo at 6'4", Garner's at 6'3", Aaron Young 6'4", Daryl Harding Jr. 6'4", Scott Bracey 6'2", Dennis Smith 6'2". 
that's the size you need to compete on the outside and, and to win those 50-50 battles. And you combine that with uh, a guy who's returning for his junior season, Noah Gray, at tight end. Big shoes to fill, but you talk to the coaches, and a lot of them feel like he may have the best set of hands in terms of pass catching on the team. I think Noah Gray is an NFL tight end at some point. Now, we, the Blue Devils want to keep him as long as possible, but talk about a specimen. I mean, he, he's got all the tools as well. Uh, the problem there is depth. You've got some inexperience behind him, whereas in years past, that tight end position, whether it was Davis Copenhaver or Daniel Helm, you could rotate the players in because of injury to players like Jake Marweedy, yep. for instance, you don't have the same depth that you would like. And the tight end position in the Duke offense is a very important one because they're asked to do so many different things, line up in the backfield as that H-back and come in and block or go out on, you know, line up outside and run routes as a receiver. So to me, Noah Gray encapsulates everything that you would want of him. The, the big key there is preserving his body as long as you can, getting as much out of him as possible while maintaining his health throughout the season because he's certainly on track to be one of the best tight ends in the ACC. And I know you certainly buy into this philosophy. Most coaches will tell you to win in football, you've got to win at the line of scrimmage. What, what have you seen from the guys up front? Yeah, this, these are my, my favorites, right? Yeah. The, the big, uh, big guys up front, the big uglies, if you will. <laughs> um, you know, the, the nucleus, the interior of the Duke offensive line looks really solid coming back. Jack Wallabaugh in there at center, the Ohio State transfer, uh, played well last year and garnered a lot of trust and uh, – and, um, you know, the, the teammates around him believed in him, and I think he's done a good job of integrating himself into the team. Uh, at guard, you've got Rock Chambers, Jul or Jalen Santos uh, at uh, – excuse me, Julian Santos. Yeah, yeah. Jalen Miller yeah. is the tackle, but Julian Santos at left guard, um, and you've got uh, several other players that are able to rotate in there, whether that's Mar uh, Maurice McIntyre or Zach Baker. Uh, so the, the, that in, inside three, where a lot of the run game is initially established, that push inside out in the running game uh, is pretty solid with Rock Chambers at right guard also. The tackles is a bit of a question right now. Uh, so you've got, I think, a pretty good amount of competition so far through camp, but yet to be solidified, which is a good thing in some ways where you, you want players fighting over a spot that helps push one another. However, you'd also like to be able to say, all right, I know who my left tackle is going to be, or I know who my right tackle is going to be throughout the duration of camp so that you can really start to gel from a chemistry standpoint up front. So I think it's an improved unit from last year, but still some inconsistency and some experience to build at tackle. Luckily, the Blue Devils have a pretty quick quarterback this year. So if there is pressure, I think he's, Quentin Harris, a little more elusive than Daniel Jones was potentially in the pocket. Well, you mentioned Quentin Harris, and I want to touch on him in just a second. But before you get to that, when I'm hearing you talk through these position groups, and it feels like you're talking about two, three different guys at each position. And, and you go back to, you know, when you and Coach Cockliffe were first getting this thing going here, when he, you know, his first four or five years, it felt like the recruiting came along for the first stringers very quickly. And maybe the biggest difference over the last three or four years is the drop-off between first string and second string or starters and backups, however you want to phrase it, has closed a lot over the last few years. You're right. I mean, And I think back to when I first got to Duke, I was put into a starting role as 
the left guard, and I had no business being on the field. Mm -hmm. That's not happening anymore. There are players around here that are more than good enough to play in the ACC. Now there's another level to it. It's mm -hmm. can, not just can you play, can you be serviceable, it's can you go out and make an impact? Can you make a difference, a positive difference for your team? And that's where you start to see it with, with the, the blurred lines between who's a one and who's a two. That's a good problem to have because that means that a lot of that cream is rising to the top and you're just trying to sort through all of that. And Again, I, the defense does a great job of it. It's more defensive typically because you can rotate players in and out. But finding week after week who's the best blend of players that you want to have on the field that can help exploit the opposing team's weaknesses and how can you attack those things. And on offense, you can do that. Maybe a certain week you need physical wide receivers outside. Well, good news, you can pick from a, 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 a cornucopia of different players, if you will. The next week you need a little bit more quickness, you've got those too. So it all comes down to recruiting and building depth. But certainly this year's Duke roster has a good amount of depth at just about every position. Well, and you look at last year, I mean, uh, the other thing you have to contemplate in this, it just is the nature of it. With football, injuries are going to happen. And, you know, team that won eight games a year ago and, and probably had, you know, six or seven major surgeries on each side of the football for a lot of programs, even in the ACC or upper echelons, that would ruin your season. And Duke still comes out of it with eight wins with everybody that they had to deal with having the surgeries, you know, corners, running backs. I mean, you, every position you could find somebody, unfortunately. But, but that's one of the reasons depth can be so important. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why this year – the coaching staff has some some players that maybe don't have the starts under their belt that they typically would, but they've got game experience. And it's because they were thrust into the fire at times last year because of injuries. And you were putting a player that's maybe more typical to play corner or safety and having them play a, a position that they're not as familiar with. Well, when you do that, it might not be optimal and ideal at that specific situation, but it can pay off in the long run. You get a season or an off season to look back and to review those different things, work out some kinks. And now you're looking at a team, a defense or an offense with tremendous versatility and guys that can be plugged and played different places. And I think that that starts to help the, to, to take the edge off of, oh, maybe we don't have the, the starts or the, the starters returning that we would like to see. And Quentin Harris, kind of the perfect example there when Daniel exactly. Jones got injured a year ago, started two games, one at Baylor, one at home against NC Central. The fifth-year senior is going to be the starter this season. And uh, get your take on, in context of opening the year with Alabama, one of the things that has made David Cutcliffe so elite over the years, whether, you know, all the way back to his days at Tennessee as the offensive coordinator, the head coach at Ole Miss, and, of course, the head coach here, He's a brilliant offensive mind, but for a young quarterback, I would think it's a lot to take in. That has to benefit Duke that Quentin Harris, from that side of things, has been in this system for quite some time. Yeah, it does. And uh, you know what else Coach Cutcliffe does a great job of doing? He, he's a, a brilliant offensive mind, but he's a brilliant motivator. Mm -hmm. And, and he, he has such a, a unique way of of giving confidence to a player and to a team. And so you mentioned Alabama. Go back to the last time the Blue Devils played Alabama, 2010, my redshirt freshman year. Uh, and Coach Cutcliffe had us preparing to get ready to play these guys. This is a team with Julio Jones, Mark Ingram, a ton of pro guys that are on this program. And I'm not kidding. I'm sitting in the, the meeting room that entire week fully believing that we were going to go out and win. 
Now it took a few seconds into the first half to realize that that wasn't going to happen. But Coach Cutcliffe did such a great job of having us focus on the details at hand. All right, you do your own job, and at the end of the day, if you can do that to the high, to to the certain level and certain ability, we'll be burning the benches on the quad later that day. So I guarantee you, Coach Cutcliffe has taken that same approach with preparing this team and this roster for a tremendous challenge in Alabama, but also beyond in the rest of the schedule. But Quentin Harris, in particular, and giving him the confidence to go out there and say, hey, "Quentin, this is your team. This this team will do." And, and be as good as you make them and, and you allow them to be. Go cut loose, enjoy it, sling the football around, but use your athleticism to your advantage. I think that's the big thing Duke's going to do from an X's and O standpoint. But more importantly with him, it comes in the mind. And there's no better coach than David Cutcliffe with a, the mentality and the mindset of a quarterback. Man, we've talked about this before. I think you'd be hard-pressed in the ACC to find a quarterback that throws better deep ball than Quentin Harris with tremendous accuracy. That's certainly going to be a piece uh, to watch this season for Duke as we get rolling here with Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. and we come back, big guys got to eat, and we've got some food for you. going to give you a little taste of Durham uh, as Dave told you, for any meal, I guess, donuts fit into breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Going to bring in Darren Vaught, see if we can get him fired up, mad at us that he didn't have donuts <laughs> in front of him. Uh, should be some fun as we keep rolling here on Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Back on Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. David Shoemate and Dave Harding here. A symmetry there between the names. I wonder if that's why they picked us. I guess so. That's fine. I'll take it. It's a great name, by the way. Yeah. Random thoughts for a random segment. <laughs> We've got about five minutes before Dan Brooks is going to join us and talk about his seventh national championship with the Duke Women's Golf Program. But we figure, you know, guys got to eat. We're about halfway through the show. Darren, jump in. Last year, for those that weren't with us, we, we kind of took you through a taste of Durham uh, on the pizza scene. And, and Darren, everybody in the studio got involved this year with football camp and everything going on. We're doing the show from over here on campus at Duke. But, Darren, we want you to experience it and as Dave is perusing how he wants to break down what's in front of him, you, you lead us off. Like, wh what is your – you told me before we got going today, pizza and donuts are your thing. What is your play? Are you a cake donut guy, or are you, are you more of like a yeah, you so, know, the deep fried? So a donut, full disclosure, is probably the one thing that if you put it in front of my face, no matter what, it doesn't matter, like, if I just ate, if I'm in the middle of something, I'm going to eat it. That's a donut. It's the only thing on the planet that I treat that way. Uh, I, I like variety, but I think I sort of favor the gourmet cakey donuts, right? Um, yeah. There are some of the specialty styles. I have no idea what you guys have in front of you, which is upsetting, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I think you should there say was a lot of layered <laughs> aggression. <laughs> what we had in front of us. Had, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I think I would prefer something on the cakeier side, but nothing too crazy as far as a, a flavor is concerned, right? Like maybe you get a yeah. cakey chocolate donut with a light glaze or something like that. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I've been known to eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts in under six minutes. Uh, and it, to Did me, that's just... Did you do the mile on each side of it run or was no. this no, just... I don't do the run. <laughs> I've done that before, yeah. I don't do the run. But, uh, you know... 
I, I, I think it's mainly just air and some sugar mixed in. Sure. To where I, I, I agree with you, Darren, that you need some more substance. And David did a fantastic job yeah, of getting me what some substance over there. today. We've got three different vendors in front of me. Uh, Monuts Donuts, yeah. a Durham staple. We also have Duck Donuts. Warm, delicious, and made to order. And Rise Donuts, another local favorite. So uh, primarily all the, the cake-type, you know, gourmet-style donuts, Darren. And uh, David did a great job of getting me three different or the the uh, what's it the bacon donut? Uh, yeah, that's like a thing. Oh, the maple, maple bacon, bacon is maple I think bacon. Most most places have some sort of variety of maple glaze bacon yes. bits or a strip of bacon. Somehow, I just they, went down the line bacon. and they were all very very good. Uh, Duck donuts <laughs> has got a little bit more maple. You guys are killing um, me. The, the Rise Donuts is more of a substantial. Of bacon. It's a bigger piece of bacon, which I really <laughs> like. It's, it's a little crispier. Uh, Monuts, with the, he went with the Pop-Tart, uh, which is also a great option. And then there's basically Rise's take on a Bowberry biscuit, which you just had. What did you think? It was pretty good. I mean, it's not the original in full disclosure, but it, it, it was solid. I, I think the uh, – it, it depends on what you're looking for because Monuts has a really good cake, cinnamon, and sugar donut. Or, or if you're Ooh. more of a glaze guy, which lane do you live in, Darren? I'm probably cake, cinnamon, sugar. The cinnamon, sugar combo with a cake donut, that sounds fantastic to me. Yeah, I'm about to have a bite right now, actually. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I'm more of a glaze guy, actually. I like the, the, the crispiness that it brings in, but all of these are so – there's a, a cinnamon roll. What's this, a strawberry shortcake donut? Yep. They thought of it all. I don't. What flavor donut would you <laughs> want to that you have not seen that you think should be made? I mean, Ooh. I'm a big a, peanut butter jelly guy. I don't think they play on that enough. I have not yet had that. That would vastly improve a jelly donut for me. Right. I have a little peanut butter in there. Yeah, I would even eat like a pizza donut. Honestly, oh, you're going yeah. savory. Sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Before we hit the break, because we got Coach Brooks coming up here in a second, Dave. Is there a strategy to a dozen donuts in six minutes? Is it? You pace yourself, or is it get as many as you can before that sleepy so feeling? Falls I learned out? this lesson as an offensive lineman. We'd go on thick Thursday runs to the Krispy Kreme, but not just any Krispy Kreme. Back in the day, the only fresh, hot and ready, true hot and ready, was out in Raleigh. So all my old line teammates would pile into cars, some of my favorite memories, and drive out there. And that's really where we perfected the craft. And, and what it is is you sit down, you've got to have some kind of milk or, or water to help you get it through but uh you sit and you you ball them up as tight as you can almost to like the donut <laughs> hole type thing and just, just there is a lot of air down the like, pipe. It, it, <laughs> uh, it, it, in the donut right it, it's yes. the way it's made there's a lot of just air that you've got to just press out right that yeah, makes sense to me when you say when you say squish it together yeah, yeah. <laughs> ain't nobody got time for air <laughs> so you got to get straight to business and i tell you what the, the worst part was the car ride back from Rob. <laughs> <laughs> we barely made it a few times because your heart will start to race. So I cannot imagine running one. But thank you for, for this is very uh, sentimental for me and brings back some great memories. And we're gonna uh, go to break. Should we eat one in Darren's honor while we're in break? Yeah, I'm gonna have this cinnamon sugar oh, one. Oh, for him? Yeah, yeah, yeah Darren, it, it's really appreciate good. That. We're, it's we're really, thinking about truly, you. Over truly yeah. appreciate. We love guys. you. <laughs> yeah, Dan Brooks is next as we continue with Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. 
Stay with us on The David Glenn Show. And welcome back into Duke Day on The David Glenn Show. David Shoemate here with you as we're inside of three weeks till kickoff for the Duke football program and to take on Alabama down in Atlanta to get things started at 3.30 on August 31st as a part of the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. But we're going to pivot right now and talk about a national championship here at Duke as we welcome in Dan Brooks, who just picked up title number seven for the Blue Devils, 35 years here at Duke. And, uh, Coach, I mean, I, I want to start right with that national championship, the, the seventh one you won, but uh, this one wasn't easy, right? Every match play event was 3-2. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lot easier for players, I can tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, right down to the wire on every match. Um, the cool thing about it is everybody on the team contributed substantially in that tournament. Um, you know, not just a little bit, but every one of them was sort of the key player uh, at their given moment uh, that won us a championship. So it was, it was really a very much an even team effort. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about this because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, for this one, it was – different than the others, right? Because this was your guys' first championship uh, since the format went to match play in the final rounds. Yeah, that's right. Yep. How does that impact things when you when you get into that? And it truly is, you know, one versus one and kind of the individual competition. Obviously, your team was pulling for you, but you're kind of in your own little battle out there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, when it was stroke play, it was, it was actually easier to know exactly who the best team was in the country when it was stroke play. Were, okay. You're crunching so many numbers, uh, you know, counting up so many strokes, that the best team's going to rise to the top nine times out of ten, probably more often than that. When it gets to match play, as we all know, anybody that plays this game, uh, you know, it's much more how the ball bounces and it's more of a momentum thing and how, so, how holes set up for a particular player against another. So there's a lot more chance involved and. And that's made for great television. In fact, the Golf Channel needed it to be match play because uh, they, they didn't want to televise stroke play because it had the potential to not be very exciting. Match play has become so exciting. It's just such a great format for this. And, uh, you know, it's still you still have to golf your, golf your ball. You've got to, be, you've got to be really, really good, and you've got to hang tough if you ever get down. Mentally, if you get down, you're going to lose your match. So it's really a... It's a challenge to stay up to the very end, even if you're behind. That's that's the hardest thing about it. Well, let's talk about that weekend a little bit in, in Arkansas and kind of want to take it because there were so many layers to this as you guys kind of made your way through uh, the match play portion of the tournament. Uh, for those that, that don't know or weren't following that closely, the, the weather was kind of crazy that week when, when you guys were up there. And, and then you, you look back, and I say that because obviously Stanford, Arizona, and then Wake Forest, uh, the semis and the finals were actually played on the same day. So you get 36 holes, and we'll talk about it in a second, more than 36 holes uh, to tr yeah. try to settle this thing. But uh, that had to be as much physically but also mentally grueling to play that much golf all in one day w with everything that was on the line. Yeah, I, you know, I, I credit these players so much, and I've reflected on it a lot, on how incredibly tough they were. On a, in one particular day, on a ballots warmed up four times. So we were on and off the golf course, you know, taking little naps in the clubhouse. And one time we all piled into the van and had to get right back out again because another cell moved in. 
there was thunder showers, so it was really hard to know when they were going to, those things can just turn up any time. So uh, it was just a grueling thing. We were, we were showing up before the sun came up and, and leaving after the sun went down on, gosh, it seems like at least three of the days that our days were like that. And uh, it sort of runs together because the, <laughs> the distinction of days is not really that that much you know you go back and crash mm-hmm. and then you're back up again um it was really really a grueling thing and i true honestly i truly credit one member of our staff alex merrill got us in really good physical shape and i think the better he's our uh, performance coach and uh, you know the better shape we're in physically the better we're able to keep our minds together so i, I really uh they were just in great shape uh, and i think yeah. that made a big difference and a lot of folks obviously don't see it because, like you said, you're, you're watching the Golf Channel coverage or, or you're seeing uh, when they're out on the course. But the warm-up routines or a couple hours and, and getting loose and getting yeah. ready, I would imagine you're looking at 12, 14-hour days easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you total it up and all the delays and and this course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a, um, you know, anybody that uses a push cart, we had to decide between using push carts or carrying and uh, – you're using the push cart, which is a good idea on some holes, but you're going up such a steep slope that you've got literally got your hands up above your head while you're pushing your cart up the hill. Um, and it just really was an amazing effort by everybody. They were they were totally the day after everybody came walking down from up in their hotel rooms when they were about to leave, and everybody's sort of limping or rubbing their back. <laughs> <laughs> they were just toast, you know. We used to, we're visiting with Dan Brooks, the head coach of the Duke women's golf program, as they come off their seventh uh, national championship. We're kind of breaking down how that championship weekend played out. And, and let's go uh, to the championship match with Wake Forest. At one point on the back nine, you know, Duke is down in four of the five matches that, that are out on the course. I know it's kind of spread out, but for you as a coach, what are you doing there to kind of spread the word, but also uh, to motivate the players, uh, knowing you got to come from behind? Well, uh, Coach Woodhouse, John Woodhouse, is just tremendous. I, you know, he's I credit him with, the, you know, he's a, he's a lot of the reason we won. He and I are, can't be everywhere at once, and it wasn't a golf where you can cut across fairways. You you pretty much have to be with the player you're with, and getting to another player is a bit of a task. So there's only so much we could do, and that again is credit to the players. Again, they didn't. They didn't necessarily have a coach there that was sort of helping them keep their chin up. They had to do it all their, all themselves. And one of the things we've always tried to do is just get them to be as independent, independently motivated and, and strong as possible. We don't, we, throughout the season, we don't try to be everywhere at once for the players. We, our message is more, we can't do that. You've got to learn how to be really st- strong without another person out there with you and i think it paid off for us on this particular golf course especially it paid off for us because we were probably a little bit more independently strong player by player than than our competition i think that really paid off well let's go to right to what i I think it was the pivotal moment in the match things are leveled up at two two and and you're in extra holes and uh, Miranda Wong is, is taking on a player from Wake Forest and on the second shot in, I believe it was a par five, the player from Wake Forest uh, hooks it uh, into the hazard, in, into the creek. And, you know, for, for a layman and amateur like me, I'm thinking, 
okay, pitching wedge, putter, whatever you want, just you know, get it up there. And Miranda yep. steps up and, and hits a wood uh, right on down or, you know, a fairway metal right on down to the green. Talk about kind of the, you know, the backbone to make a play like that, knowing your opponent's already put in the hazard. Yeah, well, the, uh, the way the hole lays out, that shot uh, for as good as Miranda is and, and definitely the way she was playing right then and the way she was feeling, um, it wasn't, it, I mean, it's a good shot, but it's not a ridiculously challenging shot. It's not like she took some chance that she didn't need to take. Uh, if you're feeling good, it's a whole lot easier to be up there by the green and hit a little pitch if the shot that gets you up there is not really that tough a shot. And the way she sure. sounded, you know, as we're out there by, by the tree, the way she sounded was, uh, very, very confident. We didn't even, you know, we didn't have a conversation about what to hit up there because she already, she was pulling that club and ready to go. And I just was a little, it was in my mind like, man, we don't really need to do this, but, but it's not the hardest shot in the world. And she, she made a great shot, beautiful, beautiful shot, great swing. She was ready to go. So I didn't want to put any doubt in her mind. So we didn't, (laughs) we hardly even talked about it. No, it certainly was an incredible shot in a moment. As we said, uh, the seventh national championship, and we talked about uh, your tenure here at Duke, and, and you have had a, a few months to, to marinate on it. When when you look back, uh, what, what will kind of be the things you remember about that group? Well, it's just really special that uh, they all got to have their moment or more, you know, huge mm-hmm. moment or more. Every single one of them, if you go right down the list, uh, you've got Jarvie beating, you know, Cup Cho, you've got if right now you've got you've got uh, Gina hitting that incredible shot on the 18th hole. They all had an incredible shining moment or a match that they won. Or, you know, even even the players even came back on some of the matches they lost. Like Miranda uh, Miranda twice came back in matches where she didn't get the win. But but we know from an internal view, we know how great her mentality was and how well she fought back. So I'd say it was a growth tournament for everybody. They all found out something about themselves, and that is always a wonderful thing. Uh, bodes well for the future. You know, they all they got more than a win out of this championship. They got they got wonderful things for their own personal growth and maturity out of it. So, and it keeps that's rolling, the most exciting thing. Uh, you mentioned Gina Kim. She comes right back, goes to the U.S. Open, uh, drops to 66 in the opening round, ends up the low amateur in the tournament at one under. And, and even for, you know, for Virginia, Atlanta Carter started right out of the shoot here at Duke 2016, the, the individual national champion and caps it in her senior season with a team championship. Uh, pretty sweet, I would think, to, to see her career book in like that. Yeah, how about that? I mean, what a great thing to be able to do she didn't get the team championship and then she wound up having one for for bookends right which is just really great and what a she was just a she was a great team member um hey. you know great great person and a tremendous ambassador here at Duke, if I yeah. can get you to talk a little bit about uh, the Birdies for Babies program that she started during her junior season that raises money for Duke Children's neonatal and pediatric intensive care units. I mean, more than doubled uh, from the first year from 10000 up to 26000 because of, obviously, the production out on the course. But uh, the brainchild of that program and, and a program that, that you guys are going to continue, correct? Absolutely, we're going to continue it. And we hope it, you know, I I personally hope that it triggers other 
programs yep. to do similar things. You know, everybody's got stats that they can use to, to accumulate birdies, um, or I mean, to accumulate dollars. And uh, the men's team jumped in and is, is contributing to it also, the men's golf team. So it's great. You know, and Virginia's that kind of person. She was, uh, I think she was just thinking about how she, she was, she had a lot of injury, uh, sickness and injury while she was on the team. And I think that gave her some downtime. And, and I think she wanted, she thought about what maybe she can do to, to contribute uh, in other ways since she was, you know, kind of down and, uh, you know, how about that? That's just, that's a testimony to who she is. It's really incredible. We're visiting uh, with Dan Brooks, the head coach of the Duke women's golf program, 35 years here at Duke. We talk about the seven national championships, 20 ACC championships, 136 team victories. That's the most of any women's golf coach in division one history. And, and coach, I think all those numbers kind of add up to, to building a program and, and curious from your perspective, when, when you sit back and, and look, just what do you think some of the key ingredients have been that allowed you guys to have so much success over the years? Well, I'd say number one is that I'm at Duke university. You know, if you look mm -hmm. at the school and the, the facility and how I've been supported by my athletic department, uh, it's given me incredible opportunities to do my job. And, uh, you know, we just have a great situation. So that's number one, just the, the sort of person, the caliber of the, the, the character that we are able to recruit to a place like Duke. Um, golf, in my opinion, is a lot of solo uh, intrinsic motivation. That's what it is. That's what it's based on. And if you don't get the sort of people that are pretty strong, pretty self-motivated, pretty, uh, pretty self-organized and disciplined and all that sort of stuff, uh, you're not going to make it. So we're, and you're not going to succeed. You're not going to do really well. So I, we get the sort of people that are just made for golf. Um, you know, you, most of the time in golf, you're, you're on your own, you're out there doing your yes. thing and, and it's got to come from inside. So you better have people that thrive in a world like that. And I think Duke uh, is attractive to people like that. Let you go on this. You've obviously also overseen this program in, in an era where it feels like uh, golf as a whole, but, but women's golf in particular, ha has truly exploded. What would you say are some of the biggest uh, impacts or changes to the game uh, overall during your time at Duke? Well, yeah, women's golf has uh, just, I've seen it improve. It's one of my most enjoyable things that I've, you know, experienced over these 35 years is how much better it's gotten. The, the depth, not only much greater depth, but also the top players are better. Um, so the cream is better and the depth is way, way better. And now we've got, and then you bring in match play, and now it's just incredibly exciting because you have you have quite a few teams. When I first started, there were pretty much one or two or three teams that could win a national championship. And now you get to these, this, especially with match play, you get there and there's, you know, probably any one of ten teams could win the national championship. And that's exciting. So it's, the golf's gotten a lot better, and uh, that's that's the main thing.
And as you said at the top, it, it may not be the perfect way of vetting out who, who is the best team over the course of a season, but boy, for two or three days, it is fun to watch, even though it probably makes the heart race a little bit faster for that coach. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Coach, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Well, thank you. Nice talking with you. Yeah, that's Dan Brooks, the head coach of the Duke women's golf program. As we continue in just a moment, it's Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. And welcome back to Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. David Shumate and Dave Harding with you as we put a wrap on hour number two. One more hour to go, and it is a jam-packed third hour here. Nate James, associate head coach of the Duke men's basketball program, is going to stop by. Uh, we're also going to visit with Mark Packer, talk about his new show on the ACC Network. Packer in Durham, that morning show for the network that's going to launch on August 22nd. And then John Roth is going to join us to put a wrap on things, talk a little football, talk a little basketball. But uh, time flies and hours can just speed on by, Dave. When, when you look at this time of year, the teams are getting ready for football. We're going to talk hoops here in just a, just a second. But we talked with a national champion a moment ago and Dan Brooks. And, and earlier in the hour, we talked a, a lot about football for Duke. And we got about two minutes here. But but want to pick your brain a little bit. when When you have the opener, and it is Alabama, number one or number two, however you want to look at it, uh, a team that many people think has a really good chance not only get to the playoff but get back to the national championship game. A lot of people are picking Alabama and Clemson again. Uh, for the players, you're going to hear over and over again, I think, from the coaches, you know, stay in the moment, worry about camp. But they're human, at least from my perspective. that got to be in the back of their mind. Yeah, no doubt. The coaches, it's in the back of their mind. It's in the probably the front of the mind of the – players for sure the big thing that you're trying to work against is having one game to find your entire season whether or not the blue devils are able to go down to atlanta and knock off alabama in what would certainly be an upset uh they're capable of doing that um and certainly far more capable than they ever have been just because of again the recruiting that we've been talking about and the, the, the development of the football program here in durham but so if, if you go down there and 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 beat them you could be riding a high that is almost like a sugar high after I eat a dozen donuts and you just come crashing down. Conversely, if you go lose, uh, whether that's in a close game or a, a blowout game, God forbid, uh, that can also have a, a dramatic impact on the rest of your season. And so the coaches are trying to make sure that you take care of the task at hand one game at a time and now in, in, in training camp, one play or one practice at a time and just let everything fall together in due time instead of using the Alabama game or any kind of opening game as this big carrot at the end of, of the uh, the process. And I think you'd be remiss if you don't factor into that. This is a team that went to Death Valley last year and played at Clemson when Clemson was rolling and dominated 
for the yeah, opening quarter, half. had a six to nothing lead and, and trailed by a touchdown at halftime. A Clemson team that a lot of people remember blew out Alabama right. in the national championship game. So psychologically, I, I just don't see this team being intimidated. Kevin Harlan respect. is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show.